0: Uh, we are going to be hitting a lot of different verses. So if you like to see the verses in front of you, go to that app, go to the, the webpage under media, and you'll be able to see that. So I'm holding out hope, and I have great confidence in those of you who are in this service, those of you watching in the youth room online, that someone is in the crowd that will say yes to this. So I've asked this in every service, and there's not been a single person who said yes. I'm curious if there are any t- early 20th century Hungarian poet fans strike out today. Yeah, me either. I'm not one either. But there is a man named um, Frigish Corinthi. Frigish, think of that for the name of your next child. Uh, Frigish Corinthi wrote uh, some poetry and some short stories. And in 1929, he wrote one called Chains. And you may not be familiar with Frigish, uh, but you probably are familiar with one of his theories. What he put forth was that he proposed that the world, as it increases in population, there's more and more people who are born, more people inhabit the planet, we become more and more interconnected than disconnected. So he's saying as more and more people are here, we know more and more people. And so what he did is in this story, Chains, he—the main character said that he could connect himself to any person in the world through five other people. Or as pop culture in the last number of years have said it best, is six degrees of separation. Or as Disney said, it's a small, small world, right? That, that's a ride that our family has a, a strong disagreement in. is it's a small world. And this is a total rabbit trail, but I'm just going there anyways, is that there's certain family members who enjoy this ride, and there's other family members who, let's just say, I don't like it. And uh, the last time I went on it, I ended up counting the number of little figurine-type things. And there's somewhere 250 of them. So it's a way to stay sane. So if you have this division in your family, this is a way to stay sane the next time you go through. What's that? It's the best ride. You can tell who likes it. Um, Not me. So nonetheless, it's a small world, and we are connected. And in 2020, this was even more the reality— of seeing how interconnected we are. I mean, you simply look at an event that took place on the other side of the world, how it still radically impacts us here in Marshall and the entire world. Think about health-wise, how we have all basically been in an Epidemiology 101 class for the last year, and you are all little mini-experts in disease. And you know how germs and viruses and bacteria spread, and, and you're learning more and more of this. We see that we're connected this way. We see how socially our circles used to be really, really big. We'd have a lot of people that we'd be mixing with, but in this time, our social circles became smaller, and as we had these smaller social circles and family circles, we soon realized how many people that we've not been able to connect with and we miss, and we've still found other ways to connect with them, but that circle's smaller. Economically, we see this trickle effect of how when things change, we're all impacted economically. And there's this continual push to shop local, to buy local, to eat local, that we can care for one another in that way. And then spiritually, too, is it's been obvious that there's been a gap there, a need. When we've been apart from one another, we've done the best that we can to connect with each other. But ultimately, we're better together as we draw near to one another and we draw near to God. But as followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised by this. We're designed, we're created for community. We're created for connection. We're created to be around one another. And although last week, if you heard the message you were here as I talked about going away to this place in Brooklyn where it was all by myself, and it was silent, and it was, it was wonderful. When I'm about 15 to 20 hours in, I start to get that itch of, I, I need to see my family. I need to see people I love and I know. And we're designed to be around one another. And in Acts 2, we see the Spirit of God break out in a mighty way, which we're going to read about here in just a moment. Is that the Spirit of God comes upon a people who are gathered together. And the Spirit of God does something miraculous and mighty. And these people are connected. And we see in Acts 2, starting in verse 42, they devoted. We've looked at this word. Nick has described it so well the last number of weeks. They centered themselves on the apostles' teaching, the word of God, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So here we find a a group who is using the word to spur on prayer, and prayer to spur on the word. And they're built on this foundation of the word and prayer. And then what happens next is a result of this building of the foundation. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, this community is pretty intriguing to me. And I think there's a drawing to it because here they were together. And if anyone had a need, Johnny had a need, Nick would be like, yep, I got it. I'm covering Johnny. You know, there's anyone. Zabalski's having need? Oh, Sarah's going to get it is that there's this connection of community, of seeing one another, that all things are in common. Hey, you can borrow this. I've got an extra shirt. You need some more food. Here you go. And there is a drawing to this, that they had everything in common. And this is really what we teach our children early on in life, or at least we try to. It's simply if this was a message that the kids were hearing at the other end, it would be this. This would be the point. Jesus wants us to share. It's that simple. You can summarize the entire message here. So now you can zone out and think about the rest of your day, is Jesus wants us to share. We see this in Acts 2, is this sharing. Because the sharing draws people to Jesus. Jesus was generous. Jesus gave his life away in many different ways. People were drawn to him and still drawn to him. And this is the intent for the church as well. People looked at this church early on in Acts and said there's something different going on in there. A couple years ago, there was a number of books and articles being released about how people love Jesus. They really like Jesus, but they don't like the church. Because they look in the church and they see people who do not look like Jesus. They don't see the generosity. They see selfishness and self-centeredness and, and me mentality of how do I create a world where I am healthy, whole, and successful, and safe. And everyone else, Good luck. But this church in Acts, and the church is intended to be one that draws people, where people look in and go like, there's something different, and I want to find out what that is. Even if I don't agree with what they're teaching, I want to be connected to this because of who they are and what they're doing. There's something different about what's going on there. Now, theologian Klaus Westerman, which I'm sure you've all read many, many times as well, uh, just like Frigas earlier, says there's two primary aspects of God's saving mercy. The first one or his, his mercy for humanity, is the first one is his saving, his saving activity, his merciful action towards humanity. The first thing he says is that's God's saving activity. We talk about this all the time. That's the cross. It's Jesus. That's what we talked about in our entire thread series, is how the entire scriptures is pointing to this red th- thread of redemption running through it all. It's God's saving work, and we should focus on this. But he also says his merciful act towards humanity is also the blessing activity of God. It's God's open-handed reality to us. It's God saying, everything I have is yours. I have everything you possibly need to live a godly life. This is all yours. And we see this early in Genesis where God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you so you bless others. You see the the movement of the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, where they are supposed to be a light to the nations. God is going to work in and through them, both in the positive and also in the discipline part, to help people look in and be like, There's something about this God that is different than any other God, any other allegiance that's out there. We see this blessing activity through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. We see the blessing activity that is put on the church, that's given to the church, that we're to be a blessing to the world around us, to each other as well. But many times we move in different ways than what God has proposed for us. Because God works in abundance. All things are his. He has the ultimate creating power, the ultimate sustaining power, and he's a God of abundance. But we work as humans in scarcity. Well, we only have this amount of money to spend on this, or we only have this amount of time, or we can only do this today. We work off scarcity versus abundance. It's like me going into a toy store as a child, and I have my $5 in my hands, and I'm like, well, I can buy some baseball cards, or I can buy some cars, little, like, cars. Or I can buy this, you know, starting lineup figurine. Whatever it is, is that, like, I've, I've got this, but I can't buy this really big toy that I want. It's scarcity versus abundance. And if you grew up in the 80s or 90s, or, or you, you may have heard of what Nickelodeon did. And it was something that I always wanted to do, but unfortunately never had. Was Nickelodeon every year would select two kids— And they would go on their super toy run. They would go in either KB Toy Stores. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, those were in malls. You remember malls, those things? Yeah, Or, or Toys R Us. They would have these runs. And what they would have is they would have five minutes to run through the entire store and select any toy they wanted. They could have as many shopping carts as they possibly wanted just to load it all in and run it back, go out and get some more toys. I wanted to be this kid. I wanted to be him every year. I would watch this on TV. And I wanted these toys what I thought was really funny is I looked at it at the second service, uh, you can't really see dad's face too well. Dad does not look happy, and I'm guessing he has no idea where he's putting all those toys when they get home. So, so this is God, though. This is God just in this abundance. He's like, I've got it. It's yours. Where we work on like a $5 mentality. And because God has blessed us in abundant ways, and as a generous God, we respond in that same way because all things are still his consider a few things that Jesus taught us about generosity. John 15 says this. Jesus said this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, and to lay down one's life for one's friend. I mean, This is the ultimate generous gift, is to lay down your life for someone else. Now, most of you are not going to be called to lay down your, la- your life and to die for someone else, Else. But you are called, and you do have the opportunity to be sacrificial, to sacrifice for others, to lay your life down for those that are around you. To lay your life. Jesus also said this in Luke 6, Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This is this unexpected, unmerited generosity. It's a way of life. As God is merciful, we are to be merciful as well. Matthew 7, the golden rule, where it comes from, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, hey, all that stuff that's written in the Old Testament, um, just do unto others as you would have them do to you. Paul said this in Philippians 2, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Or in First John, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's no such thing as self-serving Christianity. We have, in America, in, in churches, we have become comfortable. It's about what I want, how, how I can be served, how I feel comfortable, how I feel safe, how I receive the glory, how I've done this, so therefore you should do this when really it's about giving our life away. Being a part of the body of Christ, being a follower of Christ, it's about giving our life away. And it's not for our glory, but rather as God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, when God said, everyone who is called by my name, that's any of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ, whom I created for my glory, whom I form and made. So Isaiah saying, hey, listen, it's about, or God's saying through Isaiah, it's about my glory as God, not yours as human's. And so we think about this generosity that God demonstrated and calls us to. And what we often think of is, we often think of our hands, of what can we give? I mean, look at your hands. Is that like, what can I do with my hands? How can I help people with my hands? What can I give? What stuff do I have? And we often think this is where generosity begins. But it's not. Generosity begins in the heart. Because it's really easy to hear— scripture like this, hear a message, and to go out of here and be like, I have to do something. And you do it. Or maybe you feel guilt or shame of like, I really should do something, and you do it with your hands. But if the heart doesn't change, it's just going to stop after this first little nudge. It's about what's coming out of our heart. Generosity begins in our heart. And so we examine our heart. We look into our heart of what's going on in our heart. And this may seem harder than it actually is. As I was reading this week, I read two things that Jesus said about our heart, and it was one of those moments where I just stopped and I'm like, ugh, okay, all right, this is good. Not good here, but it's good. And this is what Jesus said. So if we want to know what is going on in our heart, he said in Matthew 12, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things up out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And then a few chapters later, he said, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. So as I read this, I thought, okay, what have I said in the last day? And you can do the same thing. This is a, an interesting exercise. What have you said this morning? What did you say yesterday? What did you post in the last week? So what is coming up out of you Reveals what's going on inside of you. But not all hope is lost. So you may be thinking, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have posted that. Not all hope is lost. Because generosity comes from the heart. And it's an opportunity for our words and our actions to match with what's going on in our heart. God does the work. It's God's empowerment. Remember, he's the one that gives freely and generously to us. So as we start to head towards wrapping this up, I want to give three practical opportunities, encouragements, suggestions, whatever it may be, of how we can live out generosity and be better together. So obviously, we've been talking about starting with a word and starting with prayer, because that's what transforms our heart. That's what catapults us forward. So the first way I want to encourage us to be to get better together is, as we think about possessions, is what would it look like to give something of value away? What would it it means to give something of value away. It's easy for our possessions to possess us. Because what we do is we think about, oh, I'd really like to have this, and we work for it, and we, we save up for it, and then we get it, and then we get more stuff, and we have to take care of our stuff, and we have to protect our stuff. And soon our possessions start to possess us. So so how do we live with this open-handed acts generosity? Because there's something freeing about Living with less, with giving something away. This is what we see again in Acts 4, verse 34. It says, For there was no one needy among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds from the sales and placing them at the apostles' feet. The proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need. So you remember this is about generosity. And so this isn't something where. In Acts, they're saying, sell everything, live in the fields, make sure everyone is just free and happy. It's not that. It's this generosity of, hey, I I have some extra land, or I have an extra shirt, or I have this, and and this person needs it. Or maybe I don't even have an extra thing, but this person needs it more than I do, so I want to give this to them. But it's not just possessions. It's influence. You have influence in different arenas and different places. You have opportunities that you can open for other people. You have connections with certain people that others don't. And so how do we give this away? Because these are valuable things as well. I love seeing connections in church. Like when there's a need that's spoken and someone else is willing to do something and there's that connection, it's just the coolest thing. But it doesn't have to just be through the church because... I guarantee you can think of something, whether that's an item or influence or opportunity or connection, that you can help someone with this week. Or it's highly likely you're going to come across that this week. And this is why we do this. Matthew 25 reminds us, and what Jesus is talking about is, is those who don't have food or clothing or, you know, something to drink or in prison, when he says this, The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I love this, is that when we have an opportunity to serve another human being, whether that's someone in the church or someone outside the church, we're serving Jesus. And Mother Teresa was asked why she gave her life away in in Calcutta to the, the poorest of poor, the sickest of sick. And she said, I get to meet Jesus every single day. What a cool, cool reality and perspective that she had. She gets to serve Jesus every day. So be generous with your possessions. Give something away. The second thing I want to encourage us with is give words of life and encouragement. You're like, oh, I'm good with that. All right, let me add something on. Give words of life and encouragement to someone that is really hard to love and you don't really like. The people that you may be thinking of, they may not quote-unquote deserve it, but they need it. We live in a verbally abusive time. People just say whatever they want to say and all sorts of things happen. But what if we gave away words of life and encouragement? What if we were generous in that way? I mean, Paul taught taught us this way to be patient with one another, to be kind and forgive, to bear with one another. Paul taught us not to devour one another with words and not to boast. See, people are not the enemy. If you're having conflict in your life, if there's hardship, if there's verbal, just people devouring one another with words, people are not the enemy. And this is what Paul had to say about this and why I say people are not the enemy. He wrote, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power so we gain strength from the Lord. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, here other human beings in that flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what Paul is saying is that we don't battle against flesh and blood. It looks like we battle against flesh and blood, but it's against powers of darkness. And a lot of times we don't like to talk about that whole spiritual world of demons and darkness and Satan and the devil. And so we just push this aside. And I love what Pastor John Tyson said this week, he said, Instead of wrestling with demons, we demonize people. Instead of pushing back on the kingdom of darkness, we push back on people themselves. We therefore end up hating the very people Jesus called us to love. Instead of wrestling with demons, we demonize people. We end up hating people around us. And this is just rampant in our world. And unfortunately, I wish I could say that that it was different between Christians and non-Christians, but we all listen, we all watch, and we see this just verbal abuse that's out there. Jesus calls us to a different way, to a different battle, to a different perspective. He calls us to a different way of of speaking life and encouragement. And here's two two things that will come out of that. If you speak life and encouragement, especially to that person you're thinking of, first thing, they may soften. Have you ever been in a conflict with someone and you actually go face to face with them and you share and they share and this wall that was there, you start to like just see this start to crumble and there's a softening on their face and like, oh, I see you as another human being. That may happen. Or the second thing is they burn. Now hold on, don't go too far with this, right? Your mind is just going all over the place. In Proverbs and in Romans, it says this, It teaches us to serve our enemy. And when we serve our enemy out of love, with this generosity, it's like heaping burning coals on their head. Now you like the image of the person you're thinking of, right? You're like, yeah. So what does this mean? So this heaping of burning coals on someone's head. When someone expects a response from you, like they're angry towards you and they expect anger back, and you share encouragement and love and compassion, it's one of these things of like, huh? Oh, it's like burning. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand why this person is responding. They're supposed to be yelling at me right now. But, oh, it's kind of fun to watch, right? Because at that point, that person that you've just encouraged and you've just loved, they have the opportunity to continue to burn, to be angry, or they may start to soften. Because they're like, there's something different here. But you've done your part. You've offered that encouragement, that love. So some ways to do that, give the benefit of the doubt. Think the good of the person instead of immediately the bad. Pray for them more than you talk about them. So let's be generous with our words by encouraging someone who's hard to love. And then the last thing. As so we talk about giving something of value away, of giving words of encouragement and life away, give your time. And as I've mentioned many times already and I'll continue to, is that this year is about subtraction, not addition. So when I'm saying give your time, I'm not saying do something more. And this is what I mean. Is be present where you're already at. Be present where you are already at. So if you're at work, do your work. Be present there. If you're in a quiet time with God or a prayer with God, be present with God. Give your time generously. If you're with a spouse or your kids, be present with them. Be generous with them. See, Paul said this. Give preference to one another in honor. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. He also said, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. So to be generous with our time by being present with those that you're already with. See, we can be better together. God can do something amazing through us and in us as a church and as those that make up the church. Because remember, as as Proverbs 11 said, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, And whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. See, we give away. When we refresh others, we're refreshed. When we give life, we find life. When we encourage, we find encouragement. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about other people. And so as we close, I want to close with a prayer that was prayed for the first time well over 800 years ago. And St. Francis prayed this prayer, and it's a prayer that still reverberates big time. Every time I see this, every time I pray it. And so I invite you to pray this along and to make it your prayer as well. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring love. Where there is offense, let me bring pardon. Where there is discord, let me bring union. Where there is error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that one receives and it is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned. And it is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. And so, Father God, I thank you for pouring out your generous gifts, the gift of salvation, your saving activity, and also the gift of your blessing activity. God, move us, continue to use us As your followers, God, to be a blessing to the people around us. God, to move with generosity, with open hands. God, to move for good. So that your name will be glorified. So Lord, thank you for your generous gift you poured out on us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather today. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we pray this all in Jesus' strong and powerful name. Amen. Amen.